Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. The Commerce Commission has launched an investigation into the country's two big supermarket chains after complaints about pricing and promotional practices. Now, the Commission is looking at Woolworths and Foodstuffs, which operates the New World Pack and Save and Four Square supermarkets. Woolworths and Foodstuffs both declined our requests for an interview, but say they will uh, fully cooperate with the investigation. Well, joining us now is the Minister of Commerce, Andrew Bailey. Uh, Kia ora, good morning, Minister. Kia ora, good morning. Now, you, your reaction to this, this is something you want to see from the Commission, to be proactive? Yes, look, um, all these decisions around whether the Commerce Commission uh, undertakes these types of inquiries uh, for the Commerce Commission, but I'm certainly... Uh, very encouraging of that and and said so to the Commerce Commission that they should look at at things like this and if need be, make an inquiry. Yeah, look, it's early days. They've got an investigation to do. They're following up on uh, Consumer New Zealand's work. Uh, But one thing I did note, I think John Duffy has raised this before as well, is the level of fines that are available if, and it's, it's a big if, if there is an issue found. Are you comfortable with the level of fines as a deterrent? I think... In one instance, back in 2020, what uh, a pack and save in Mangere fined 78,000 for price discrepancies. I mean, in the context of a supermarket, it doesn't sound that much. Uh, the issue around uh, penalties and fines is something we're looking at, but um, at the moment, the Commerce Commission haven't said to me that it's an issue. Uh, you know, it's always fit fit for what what's the transgression of their indeed there is a transgression, but uh, it's not something that we're uh, that they've said to me at the moment. I need to change, but uh, there have I would say there have been some cases where the Commerce Commission have been quite successful and got quite reasonable um, levels of penalties. I mean, this is the issue. If if there is a breach, in a, it, does there need to be a very strong message sent here? Because there is a, I think, a, a frustration from many New Zealanders that nothing will change. Well, that's right, and I think the issue, the more substantive issue is uh, should the Commerce Commission be doing more of these because there are obviously a lot of allegations, not just about pricing but other issues as well, and should the Commerce Commission be more timely in doing inquiries and coming to a view whether or not they should do it. I think that's probably the issue rather than uh, this particular one, but uh, I've... It's, that decision is for the Commerce Commission, but I have said to the Commerce Commission, as I said earlier, that I am very encouraging of them to undertake proper studies if they think uh, that it's something that is worthwhile investigating. Mm. Do you think the market for supermarkets is broken? I mean, you, the likes of Tex Edwards and others would say, this is a market that is not functioning, it is a duopoly, that nothing will change unless it is, there is intervention, it is broken up, and we have more than two big players. Well, there's certainly um, uh, issues and there's different views on it. And I know Texas views that it should be broken up. We are obviously looking at it as part of our coalition agreement that we're going to review the uh, Grocery uh, Commission's powers. So that's something I'm looking at at the moment about whether, in fact, we do need to strengthen them. But uh, there might be some options around that we put in place. But uh, there, there is a continuum about what you do from saying, well, we've got a new piece of legislation right through to break-up. We haven't committed to a break-up ourselves at this stage, but the uh, I think there might be a situation where there could be some additional powers, but we're just working our way through that process. Minister, thanks for your time this morning. Minister of Commerce, Andrew Bailey. It is 10 minutes to 7.
Well, the first of three days of celebrations at Dratana is getting underway today with church leaders, iwi leaders and, of course, politicians converging at the small Rangatike village. Coming, of course, just days after the Kingitanga's historic hui, Māori leaders have marked it as a chance to continue the conversations started at Turanga Waiwai. Joining us now is Te Taipa Kamata, a representative for Ratana Morena. Morena, Morena. Very busy morning for you, no doubt. What is happening there today? Well, at the moment, our people are gathering to welcome all our Māori who are across the country onto Ratana Pa. Um, I think the majority of, of, of our visitors will be today, so... Um, yesterday we had a, quite an easy uh, easy day, but today it's going to be full on with, uh, of course, all our people across the country and our our king um, and uh, everybody that our king has called on to Ratana. So, yes, very busy. What are you expecting in terms of the sentiments uh, to be expressed there coming, uh, as we've mentioned, after the Kingitanga's hui at uh, Turanga Waiwai? Yes, most definitely uh, uh, this would be a follow-up uh, from the discussions that happened there in Turanga Waiwai on Saturday, um, we were fortunate um, to have representatives uh, follow um, our Tumuaki Manual to <coughs> Turanga Waiwai um, to be part of those discussions. And so um, Ratana was chosen to be the place to lay out those discussions. Um, and in the coming days, uh, particularly tomorrow, when our politicians come on to Ratana, um, we will be uh, sitting down uh, uh, one-on-one with the leaders um, of uh, some of these major parties um, to discuss um, uh, the outcomes of the hui. What will you be saying to them? Well, obviously, we'll be sharing the sentiments of our people and how our people feel. Uh, at the end of the day, there is no secret. When you probe uh, the Tanifa, the Tanifa will definitely... Uh, wake up, and and I think this is what's happened over the uh, uh, couple of months. Um, well, since the um, incoming of the new government and um, and its leaders, um, with the discussions, particularly around Te Kiriti or Waitangi um, um, and uh, Te Reo Māori, um, those of which um, our people um, hold dearly, and so. Uh, these are just some of the topics that will be raised um, with our leaders and uh, in particular with uh, our, our Prime Minister. The uh, Some of the leaders, uh, Christopher Luxon and Winston Peters, will be speaking there. What are your asks of them? <clears throat> um, well, there are some um, issues that have been raised um, with previous um, Prime Ministers. Um, and we're still... <laughs> Uh, how many years down the track still waiting for an answer for that so um, obviously um, it, it would be to do with that um, and also <clears throat> other major issues that come out of Tūranga Waiwai. However um, most importantly we will be definitely welcoming um, our new Prime Minister um, and, and Winston, our Deputy Prime Minister um, as it will be the first time that um, they would be uh, meeting formally um, in their in their positions um, as Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister with our new Tumuaki. Um, uh, so, yeah. will, will they get a hard time? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. Um, they get a hard time everywhere they go, but look, um, being in Ratana, um, it, it's going to be most respectful. Everybody that comes on to Ratana is treated 
um, with the utmost respect and all of that. But um, when I say they're going to get a hard time, they're going to get the hard questions asked. Um, and so like everybody else, every other New Zealander, every other uh, uh, person in Aotearoa, um, you know, we've got to ask those hard questions and hold them to account. And so these are just some of the things that might uh, be raised here in Batana. Act leader David Seymour won't be attending at Ratana. He's described it as an event hosted by a church. How do you feel about that? Oh, well, there's no different to uh, past years. Um, uh, David Seymour hasn't come on to Ratana Pai, and that's okay. That's his own choice, um, and that's his own take on um, on the kaupapa uh, here out in Ratana. It's uh, funnily that um, one has never attended Ratana, and yet he can make statements like that, but that's okay. Um, we hope one day he might come around and actually come and have a burger or two uh, here in Ratana. How, how are the um, the catering efforts going there? Is that a bit of a, a major issue to sort all of that? Um, like like usual, um, now Ratana is an event that happens um, annually, and so um, we're quite used to the numbers that, that come here, much like Tūrana Waiwai and the Koronehana of our king. However, this hui in particular because the king has directed our people to attend Ratana and to attend Waitangi, I think we're going to get double the numbers that we usually have. Um, however, um, I do know that Ratana will be able to cater, as Ratana has catered for many thousands of people over the years, and so we're looking forward to uh, catering for all our people. Kia ora. Thank you very much for your time this morning. That was Te Taipa Kamata, a representative for Ratana, getting ready there to host three days of celebrations. It is 23 minutes past seven. All Ratana celebrations begin today with church and iwi leaders gathering at the pa near Whanganui. It comes just a few days after the Kitanga's historic nationwide hui where over 10,000 people gathered under a united call for the coalition government to be held accountable. Most politicians will in fact attend Ratana tomorrow, but Te Pāti Māori will arrive alongside the Kingitanga this afternoon. Te Pāti Māori co-leader Debenaro Ewapaka joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Morena, morena. Uh, significant mm. today to be walking on with the Kingitanga in the wake of this hui? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I first I must clarify um, that I am Moirahu. I've been there since yesterday um, supporting our hokainga, supporting um, Ratana. But today the um, bulk of the Party Māori will arrive um, in, as you said, alongside Kingitanga. Again, uh, reminding that we are um, a part of every Māori movement and it's more important that we arrive um, with the loud... Um, emphasis on unity and so you know again while politicians arrive tomorrow we are the only indigenous uh, movement and party in Aotearoa and it's most important that we be aligned with our indigenous leaders. Mm. Interesting isn't it that uh, Ratana has traditionally been aligned with the Labour Party for many many decades this would be different this time around given how you Um, performed at the election. Oh, yeah, um, I guess good point. But I, I think, you know, Ratana as a movement is extremely diverse. And for uh, me to sort of say, hey, look, I've moved from this to that would be um, arrogant. I think what's more important is that the continual growth and leadership of our people finds us aligning with um, ourselves again, in particular in this, this time and era when we have a government that is so 
anti-Māori and displaying all the traits of um, typical white supremacists. So it's really important that we stand together. And for sorry, us, sorry, Māori, Debbie, what, 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 typical white supremacists, what do you mean by that? Because this is, um, uh, this is a government, let me just say, this is a government this morning, even Nicola Willis, who was reiterating the National Party's view that the treaty is a partnership, that they want to do more for Māori. I mean, is that fair? That's... Um, I think, um, and if you if you remember what I said, you know, displaying traits, what we've got is a government that's come in and has completely, in my view, lost control of their coalition partners, but they have allowed the backpedalling of the commitment to te reo Māori. So you take a language away from Indigenous people. You then have allowed them to backtrack on uh, you know, specific equity Māori-designed health solutions. So you take away uh, you know, those... We are yet are to taking... see a, uh, that they argue that they won't be taking anything away. They're just changing the structure. Well, I, I guess, again, you're saying they argue. I'm a tangata whenua experiencing and so in my community, experiencing this uncertainty and this Prime Minister that has allowed a government to use us as political kitballs, that is not where Tangata Whenua expects to be. And we've got a Prime Minister, and I don't care how they say they're committed to Te then why leave it up for debate? Why use us as his Tangata Whenua and, and, and a government that is responsible for all of us? Why use this as... Um, is leverage? Why even? Oh, have I think people knowledge? can. I think a lot of people can appreciate your concerns and your concerns mm-hmm. as Tanga mm-hmm. Tafino. And mm-hmm. I don't want to take away from your criticisms and your concerns Absolutely. in any way. But to describe the government as having white supremacist tendencies suggests that they are what uh, somehow having some uh, making decisions based on that they believe they are a superior race. Well, they actually believe that there is superiority when you're having, uh, you know, tangata whenua, 10,000. I mean, do you, are you proposing that 10,000 people mobilised for nothing and there was nothing that we had to talk about? Not at all. Not at right. all. But they, I'm just saying, I'm just arguing back from their perspective that they, they have a differing view, but that they would be, uh, you know, offended by the suggestion that in somehow that their policies are being driven on the basis of racial superiority. I don't think there should be any surprise of, of my words, and certainly had um, you been at the weekend, the, the reality is, is that we have an anti-Māori government with coalition partners that are using every power to be, to not only say that they know what's better for us, they know how to design Te Tiriti better for us, and all the officials that are enacted and around to be able to action everything within the government are wrong. So, I mean, I can only speak from what my experience of Tangata Whenua and my community's experience is. And this is not a feeling that we have a pro-Māori government, because are you saying we do? Not for me to say. That's right. And so we've got a government that has, has leveraged off them getting into power by utilising some of the most protected tapu kaupapa, such as Hitariti, such as Māori House Authority, such as Aureo, all that have been fought with for the last 40-odd, 50 years, now saying we're all backpedaling. Mm. I guess now, I guess I have to just say they will again, Debbie. I have to interrupt that. because mm. it's my job. They will argue that they are Shane Riti, Tamapotaka. They are absolutely committed to advancing the cause of Maori. They're just doing it in a different way. Well, then ten thousand plus people who mobilised in the weekend, and certainly the discussions that we have are where we feel we have to call ourselves to stand in unity and solidarity. 
opposes that view. And I guess that's that's where my standpoint is, is that at no stage should any Indigenous peoples ever feel that their language, their ability to thrive, their ability to self-determine you know, has been compromised. And that's, I'm sad to say, that is how we feel with this anti-Māori policies and legislations that have been enacted under urgency to hold us back. Kia ora, thank you very much. I appreciate your time, Debbie. Uh, Debbie Narewa Packer there, Te Pāti Māori co-leader, who will be attending, well, is already at Rātana. Now, the upcoming school year looks set to throw up some financial hurdles for many parents. Uh, Families are preparing to fork out hundreds of dollars to pay for their child's school uniform. Here's Nick James. The beginning of the school year marks the start of new challenges in the classroom for kids. But it also proves to be hard for parents dealing with the price of school items such as uniforms. Dalovina Maui Goa is an East Auckland mum who is currently on a benefit due to being diagnosed with chronic renal failure in 2017. She is currently trying to buy a uniform for her intermediate-aged daughter. I realised to get her everything that she needs by the time she starts next week Wednesday would cost almost $800, which we don't even have a quarter of that um, at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's been quite stressful, really. She says the school's rules are often closely monitored. They may get a maybe a, an OK the first day, the first time they don't come with the full uniform, but um, since it's intermediate, it's like the rules get more and more strict. Um, so I don't want to put my child in that position. Um, it's, it would be heartbreaking. Delavina Maui Goa says she's aware of other parents in higher income brackets that find it difficult to meet the costs of uniforms. Even parents with a constant income flow are struggling as well. So if they're struggling, just imagine how the below average income parent would be. Variety Chief Executive Susan Glasgow says the start of this school year is a challenging time for many. The resources to be able to provide a new school uniform for a child when you have perhaps two or three siblings in a family at the beginning of the year straight after Christmas is incredibly stressful for most parents. She says the uniforms are increasing in cost year on year. This year with the cost of living crisis it's even more difficult for parents to be able to find the funds that they need after paying for their rent, after paying for their bills, after putting food on the table to then fund a school uniform that is more expensive than it would have been last year is incredibly difficult for them. Susan Glasgow says they're seeing an increasing number of parents needing their assistance. Last year, 13% of all of our claims from parents on our Kiwi Kids Sponsorship Programme were for school uniform costs. So that was over 1,600 families across the country came to Variety asking for help for their child's school uniform. Auckland Primary Principals Association President Kyle Brewerton says uniforms do have financial benefits. Over the life of that uniform, which will easily last a couple of years if well cared for, Uh, you're well and truly saving money in the long term. He suggests anyone struggling to pay for a uniform contacts their school. We always recommend going and talking to the schools. So many of us will have ways and means of supporting those families who are in genuine need. Secondary Principals Association President Vaughan Quio says that buying a uniform is expensive, but is probably cheaper than not having one at all. Uniforms take away a little bit of that social stigma of having to have a different outfit for every day of the week and the amount you have to spend on 
um, standard uh, clothing items actually decreases as a result of uniform. I re we realise that uniform items are expensive, but they're expensive because they're robust and designed to last a year of being worn almost every day. He says he understands it can be a financial burden following the festive season. Well, older people are being urged to stay hydrated as hot and humid weather continues across the Motu. Yesterday, Wellington Airport reached 29.5 degrees. That's the highest January temperature since records began. Hato Hone St John has reported a 22% increase in the number of call-outs they've received for temperature-related incidents in the last year. Medical Director of the Royal College of GPs, Dr Luke Bradford, is on the line with us now to discuss this. Uh, kia ora, good morning. Tell us, I mean, the, this heat is a bit of a struggle for, for many of us, but especially the elderly and the very young. What is happening in the body when we go through this extreme heat? Yeah, morena, Ingrid. Um, it's interesting. What happens is the body has mechanisms it uses to keep cool. So sweating is the main one and sending all the blood to the skin, which is something called vasodilation, and letting the air cool it as it wafts past. Um, in the extreme heat, and that mechanism becomes strained and starts to struggle with the load and can go all the way onto failure with the, with the sweating stopping. Um, and the other thing that happens, which is, is predominant in the elderly and the very young, is a dehydration. So we sweat um, a lot more in the heat, uh, don't take in enough fluids and become de dehydrated. So what do we do about it? So it's really about trying to stay cool. So avoiding avoiding prolonged periods in, in the direct heat, um, seeking shade, sitting inside, pulling the blinds down if it's very hot, putting the fan or aircon on, using a cool uh, water spray bottle perhaps just um, to replicate the sweating procedure, cold showers and, and keeping well hydrated and lots of fluids. How serious can it be? And are we seeing you know more people becoming affected by the heat? Uh, certainly, I mean, the World Health Organization reports over the last 20 years a steadily increasing number of um, heat-related deaths as we've seen climate change impact. It can be very serious with, uh, first of all, with heat stroke, which people are perhaps more aware of, which is the acute condition, um, but also just with the impact it has on those with chronic disease like kidney failure, diabetes, heart disease, because it um, certainly makes the balancing of those conditions a lot more difficult for people. And in the first instance, if you came across someone who was suffering from this, I mean, do you just go in with the, you know, trying to cool them down straight away and get water into them? Or is there any sort of, do you need to take it slowly? Yeah, no, so if it's, if it's uh, at the moment, so um, headache and, and, and hot and, and a bit of nausea, it's about cooling them down, getting them out of the heat, uh, taking off tight clothing, fanning them, putting wet, flannels around them and, and getting them to drink uh, drink water or electrolytes, certainly not hot drinks. If they're very unwell, then um, then it's the time to call for help. Mm, okay. Appreciate your time and that advice this morning. That was a medical director right. of the Royal College of GPs, Dr Luke Bradford, uh, about how to cope with the recent heat we've been having. It is starting to cool down, though. That is the good news. That report from our Taranaki Whanganui reporter Robin Martin. It is 19 minutes to 8 now. Well, the Labour Party says a government proposal to cut funding for Parliament's Office of the Clerk could jeopardise the democratic process. 
The clerk's office is one, of course, of several government agencies which have been instructed to make savings in the upcoming financial year. The legislative body plays a critical role in holding the government to account. Newsroom reports that the clerk of the House, David Wilson, has warned staff it could diminish the service it provides to Parliament and would limit the work of the legislature. Mr Wilson, uh, the Minister of Finance, Nicola Willis, have both declined our interview requests. We're joined now by the Shadow Leader of the House, Labour's Duncan Webb. Kia ora, good morning. Kia ora, good to be here. It's all pretty uh, highfalutin stuff, isn't it, what the, exactly the Office of the Clerk does. Can you explain that for us and why it matters so much? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's one of those roles which um, you don't hear a lot about, and that's usually a good thing because they sit in the background of Parliament and make sure that all of the rules are adhered to and all of the quality standards when we're making law are met. Uh, so it's a critical role when you've got something that's a really contentious place where you know we're arguing about what we're doing and we're arguing about how we do it. But at the end of the day, the clerk is the office that tells us what can be done in Parliament, what can't and how it should be done and making sure that we have the resources to do the job and the advice to do the job properly. So how is the budget usually set? Is it usually tinkered with by governments? Obviously the clerk um, has to go to the Minister of Finance um, and ask for funding in the usual way. But there's a pretty strong convention um, that whilst you might negotiate, you don't underfund it that you take the clerk's word for what the services and what services are needed and what it's going to cost. So, and the clerk's been over the past year has been cutting, um, you know, cutting costs to stay within budget because of things like rising salary costs. But to actually say that next year you've got to do the same job with 6.5% less money in the current climate, it's just not feasible. And there is a real risk that critical tasks, tasks like helping with questions, tasks like providing advice to MPs, running select committees, running the legislative process itself, won't be able to be done with the same quality. So that's your your main concern here? Oh, absolutely. Look, um, the, the Office of the Clerk is... Um, absolutely independent of MPs um, and is able to both give advice and also to to run the place according to the strict rules that's needed. And if that's undermined, it is actually um, one of those critical aspects of democracy. Uh, and to defund the clerk is to defund Parliament. Well, they're not def- a real problem. defunding it. Getting them to uh, you know run the ruler over costs and look for potential savings, I mean, that's happening right across uh, these uh, government agencies. You know, is that just part of what's needed? Oh, no, it's a bit more than running a ruler over it. Because if it's a discussion about what's needed to do the job, but a, a blanket demand for a arbitrary figure to be taken out of the budget is defunding. So what do you think needs to happen here? Is there any recourse from the Speaker, for example? Well, obviously, um, you know, the Speaker belongs to the same party as the Minister of Finance, mm. but he does have an independent role here. And I would hope that there are, you know, very careful discussions going on about how the... And look, a discussion about budgets are fine, um, but the sort of arbitrary and unilateral demand that the same job be done for less money 
in current climate isn't highly inappropriate. And I do hope that Jerry Brown is speaking to the Minister of Finance about that. Okay, thank you very much for your time this morning. That was uh, Labour's, well, the shadow leader of the House, Duncan Webb. We will be speaking to a constitutional lawyer about the repercussions of this as well. It is a quarter to eight now. Let's stay with politics because Cabinet meets for the first time this year today and the government, of course, has just fewer than 50 days to complete that 100-day plan. Uh, Items in that plan included stopping all work on Hapuapua and repealing the controversial Three Waters reforms. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon confirmed in Christchurch last week the government had until the 8th of March to tick off all 49 policies listed in that 100-day plan. Uh, we're joined now by Massey University Professor of Politics, Richard Shaw. Good morning, Richard. Morning, Nicole. How are you? I wonder if we just pick up from where Ingrid just left off there uh, on the issue of the funding uh, requirement cuts for the clerk of the House. And just, I guess this highlights a, a wider tension that we're going to see Over the short term, I guess, where the government is looking to make significant cuts across the public service, it's got to pay for tax cuts, it has got to try and keep inflation under control as well, so it doesn't want to borrow. And we're seeing that come to the surface, aren't we? Uh, We are. There's maybe a slight distinction when it comes to the office of the clerk of the House, because that's not part of the core public service that's got its own piece of legislation. Um, It's part of the legislative branch of government, which is uh, part of the reason why there are concerns being raised. Sure, but Um, it highlights, doesn't it, that 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 the the need for savings is having to go wider. Yes, uh, the the government, I mean, whether or not there is a demonstrable need for savings and quite where those savings should come from, those are matters that possibly haven't yet been traversed fully in the public domain, but the government has made a virtue of the fact that it will be reducing 6.5% across 21 government departments. The Office of the Clerk was not originally on that list, as I understand it. But that will, that comes with certain questions, I think, about the capacity, the ongoing capacity of the public service to do its constitutional role, which is to provide advice to the government today. Ministers are clearly not obliged to accept that advice. Um, but you would want to at some point ask questions about the uh, the health of your democratic institutions if their capacity to provide professional, free and frank and fearless advice is somehow being constrained by budget cuts. And I, and I think one of the legitimate questions that might be asked is the extent to which there is a case for those cuts and quite where those cases, where those cuts are being made. It's one thing to assert the need for cuts, but another to demonstrate quite where they should be made. It's pretty clear the opposition will obviously be asking a lot of those questions, as will the media. But I wonder whether the, whether the government will be more, well, slightly more comfortable dealing with any criticism in that area uh, than it will perhaps potentially on the other big area that is dominating things at sure. the moment, and that is around race relations. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely no doubt. Given given most members of the public's um, sort of orthodox views about the public service, there is, there is often an assumption in this country that there is excess capacity in the public service. There's often not a case made for that. It's just one of the assumptions that people have. Um, it's generally unfounded, would be my sense. But but people would be far happier talking about that if you're on the government benches than you would be talking about a division within the government where you have the, recently the Minister of Māori Affairs taking a position on the constitutional status of the Treaty of Waitangi, which is not that being taken by uh, the ACT Party. So that, that potential for division and for tension that needs to be managed within the government would be a much less palatable conversation, I would imagine, for the Prime Minister to be having at the post-Cabinet stand-up this afternoon than would be the prospect of cuts in the public service. Yeah, that was probably only uh, further inflamed a little bit today too because Nicola Willis on First Up this morning was uh, spoke about the partnership 
the idea or, or, or the treaty being akin to a partnership and how the, the work and the, of the, the legislature, uh, the, the judiciary, uh, the Waitangi Tribunal over many years to interpret that partnership uh, through principles, obviously, and that type of thing, that is quite starkly different than uh, David Seymour yesterday, who, who on Midday Report said he doesn't believe it's a partnership. And I think it's not insignificant that you have the Minister of Finance, who's a senior member of the Cabinet, taking one position, which is the orthodox position, and it's been taken by governments of the centre-left and, and the centre-right for 40 years now. And the next Deputy Prime Minister of the country taking a very difficult position, a very different position. So uh, that, I think, becomes the biggest thing uh, on the new Prime Minister's list of things needing managing and risks needing managing is quite what you do when you have a, when you have what is a constitutional difference of opinion amongst senior members of your administration. We've got a three-party government. It's not a thing we've ever had before. It's a really interesting thing. Many of us looking forward to seeing how that goes. But the government can only ever speak with one voice. We only have one government, no matter how many parties provide support to it or com- constitute it. So this is this has already become an issue for, for the how new How does Christopher Luxon deal with that then? He has to allow David Seymour to continue to make the argument because he's allowed it to go to select committee, this bill. Uh, We're going to have this debate, and David Seymour certainly seems very keen in interviews and on social media of pushing his case very strongly. He's not going to back away from that. So how how does the Prime Minister deal with it? One of the things that we've evolved over the years of multi-party governments is something called selective collective responsibility. So we make provisions within the, the conventional rules by which cabinet operates, whereby one party to the government, and typically a minor party, can make an issue, can nominate an issue to be one in which they disagree with other partners to the government. And this looks like it's heading in that particular direction. I think what the Prime Minister has done so far is, is, is perhaps bought himself some time because he has not committed to supporting that legislation passed through that committee. But he hasn't said he won't support it. We don't know what the National Party part or the government's position is on that legislation because it's not at select committee. So he's kicked that can down the road. That will work for a certain period of time, but it will be government legislation, and this, this is a government initiative. Quite where it goes from here, I think, will be something for the coalition to negotiate, but I would imagine that that would be uh, top of the list of things being discussed at Cabinet today. And just finally, you would expect uh, a lot of pressure on Mr Luxon at Waitangi in particular, obviously Ratna this week, but Waitangi where there will be the big spotlight. Yes, yes, absolutely. He he, he was not at Narawahia. Uh, he came for some criticism for that. He will be at Arthur and he certainly will be at, at Waitangi. So Waitangi will be a really significant moment there. Uh, it's in Ngāpui. Ngāpui were not part of Kingitanga, but they came down to Narawahia over the weekend as part of King Tehetia's initiative of, of national unity. I would imagine that this will be a very different Waitangi to the ones that we've experienced over the last four or five years. But the Prime Minister's performance, the way in which he comports and conducts himself, the way in which the government more generally comports and conducts itself, and the extent to which there is a Discipline across the parties within government up and around Waitangi will be a really crucial barometer of how the rest of the year might play out. Richard Shaw, thank you very much. Professor of Politics at Massey University. It's eight minutes to eight. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 